Welcome to PRN's Progressive Radio News Hour. I'm Steve Lindman. My guest today is Paul Craig Roberts. Paul, I want to get into some of the things you've been writing about, but of course, I don't think we can avoid not talking about what happened yesterday. Certainly caught me by surprise. Obama and uh, and uh, Cuban President Raul Castro simultaneously, to their own uh, people, addressed the so-called normalization thawing of U.S.-Cuban relations. Well, I wrote an article I put out this morning, and I called it Thaw in U.S.-Cuban Relations with a question mark on the end. And I really wonder exactly what's going to happen going forward. And the evidence that I cite seems so obvious to anybody like you, me, and anybody reading our articles, Paul, the stuff that America is doing around the world. At the same time, nearly simultaneously, uh, some days apart, with uh, saying we're going to thaw sanctions on Cuba, uh, thaw uh, relations with Cuba, ease the sanctions, and so on, uh, the Congress unanimously unanimously House and Senate uh, imposed new sanctions on Venezuela that I call the model human rights defender in the hemisphere, uh, ignoring Washington's own human rights violations, the ongoing war against Russia, the Syrian war, uh, Obama's war against uh, 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 Iraq, Iraq War Three. You could go on and on with one U.S. abuse after another against sovereign independent countries, and the common denominator is always the same. Washington tolerates tolerates no independent governments. It wants them all replaced with pro-Western stooge ones. Is Cuba any different now, Paul, after over half a century? Uh, uh, no. Uh, look, uh, Stephen, in, in my view, this is just uh, the prelude to being able to marshal the forces an American embassy and the American-funded uh, non-governmental organizations uh, they need to overthrow the government in Cuba. You, you may remember just uh, not long ago there was a, uh, an effort to overthrow the Cuban uh, government. I think they sent in some young people, musicians or something like that, and they were supposed to get uh, uh, young Cubans uh, in the streets. And uh, you know, it was in it was in the news for a while. And so what I think they're finding is they can't operate successfully uh, against Cuba because um, they, have, they don't have any basis internally. And so if they get rid of the, the sanctions and they normalize relations, then they have an embassy, then they can have uh, U.S.-funded non-governmental organizations, and they can, uh, over time, uh, cultivate uh, replacement politicians, and uh, then they can pull a maiden. You know, they can put them in the streets and uh, bring down the government and stick in a puppet. So I think that's basically what it's about. On the other hand, it could be simply Obama um, trying to uh, counteract the uh, aggression everywhere else by showing a softening position on Cuba uh, knowing that it's unlikely Congress would go along with it. A head so, fake, Paul. Literally a head fake. Yeah. And, of course, we have we have the Republicans taking over Congress uh, in January. Obama is a lame duck. I mentioned all this in my article. And Jeb Bush, I wrote an article about Jeb Bush's presidential aspirations. He may well end up uh, the Republican nominee. And he is furious about what Obama did, calling the Cuban government, quote-unquote, a dictatorship. 
Of course, he has his Florida constituency, even though he's no longer governor, to think about. Yeah, I, I don't think any American president does anything for sincere reasons. So um, this could just be uh, the White House crew saying, look, let's soften your image. Uh, it's, not gonna, it's not going anywhere. And um, uh, we know the Republicans will block it. And so, but you can kind of soften your image by making this proposal. So that could be the only explanation. I'm repeating myself. Uh, but the other explanation could be it's just part of the CIA's way of operating. They say, look, uh, we can't uh, get at these people because we don't have access. So get rid of all this uh, historical uh, have nothing to do with them so we can get an embassy. Paul, virtually nothing has changed by Obama's uh, announcement. You still got the blockade that was signed into law by Kennedy in, I believe, April 1961. Uh, you've got the Helms-Burton Act, 1996, I think it was, uh, toughening the embargo conditions. And the only way these things can be reversed is by Congress uh, enacting new legislation. I guess presidents have some limited executive order power, but I don't think power to reverse congressional legislation. I may be wrong on that. I don't know. Well, they can ignore uh, legislation, as both Bush and Obama have done for years. They just do whatever they want. I mean, there's uh, legislation against torture. There's, there's, there's statutory laws on the books of the United States government. Oh, indeed, including U.S. laws. Indeed, yeah. and so they, you know, they don't pay any attention to that. <clears throat> there are all kinds of uh, laws about due process and and habeas corpus and so, on, but they don't pay attention to the laws. They just do whatever they want. So, um, but I, as I say, uh, Stephen, I, I don't think this has any sincere intentions, and it's not Obama's purpose to actually normalize relations for the sake of normalizing relations. If they normalize relations, it's for the sake of getting a CIA operation running out of the embassy to overthrow the government. You have to understand the, the American foreign policy community has never forgiven Cuba for standing up to them all these years. I mean, here this is a huge... Uh, defeat. Uh, you know, here's the Washington has overthrown Honduras several times and all kinds of other countries, uh, and and yet there's tiny little Cuba that, regardless of how many years of sanctions, forty or more. Uh, 1961, I guess. Yeah. Well, over, all, over well, you got a half a century of uh, of sanctions, and uh, Cuba's still there. And so they say, well. Clearly, if we want to get rid of that government, uh, and the government's not doing anything you know, that's contrary to the United States, except it supports Venezuela and Bolivia and Ecuador, who are standing up to the U.S. And so getting rid of Castro is a lesson to all the others. Uh, okay, look, uh, we've got him. And in fact, one of those countries, is it, is it Ecuador or Bolivia that oh, both. thrown it's, out the U.S. Embassy, right? Which uh, one is oh, that? Oh, uh, throughout the U.S. Ambassador? 
Well, they, think, yeah, they, 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 they don't permit an American embassy or any American uh, groups in the country. They said they operate against us. We don't want them here. Get out. So I they know broke Bolivia, off. Bolivia expelled the U.S. ambassador at one time. I don't know what the relationship is now, Paul, but I know Venezuela has no U.S. ambassador. Uh, uh, Venezuela throughout the U.S. ambassador, you know, uh, acting against the interests of the Venezuelan government well, they, and they people. They did more than that. They just... They just said we won't have any U.S. embassy. We don't want you here because we can't trust you. Uh, one of those three countries. Uh, maybe I'm misinformed, but that's what I remember happened not long ago. So overthrowing Castro is just a way of saying, "See, we can still do it, and um, you better do. You better be our vassals, or you're in for it." So. I think on the whole, um, the Cuban thing is its nothing to get excited about. It doesn't mean that people are going to treat the government there in any, with any respect or tolerance. I think the Cubans are too smart to uh, not realize that American American intentions are less than what they claim to be, and they've had they've had so many experiences with America. I I've written before about this, Paul, and in my article I mentioned some of the horrors that America inflicted on Cuba over the years. One one example being dengue fever that killed uh, many hundreds and many many thousands were ill, uh, plus bombings that took place. You You've got these right-wing fascist organizations operating out of South Florida, Brothers to the Rescue, uh, the National Cuban Foundation, uh, Omega-6, organizations like this. I mean, fascist groups that, that, that want to go into Cuba and look, literally commit... Look, look, this is all pointless because the Cold War is over. And uh, so uh, if these groups are operating just because they're institutionalized in some way and they've got money and the money flow depends on continuing these pointless activities. Uh, I don't think we have to worry anymore about Cuba being a Soviet base or Soviet missiles in Cuba. And so the whole thing is, is, is pointless. And um, well, well, of course, that's not the issue now, Paul. The issue is uh, uh, Cuba's sovereign independence, free from U.S. control, which, which makes it a target. There's certainly no Soviet base in Venezuela or Bolivia or, or any other country of the world, as a matter of not, not even in Russia. <laughs> but, but the sovereign independence gets these countries to be targeted. And, of course, we both know what's going on uh, between America and Russia right now. Just a horrible situation. Yeah, if, if I was the Cuban government, I wouldn't. I wouldn't welcome this change because it just means that there will be a CIA network established in their capital operating against them. And Cuba's better off with the sanctions and, and with not having normalized relations. You may be right, Paul. You may be, I would love to have normalized relations, but how, how do you have normalized relations with a country that wants to do you ill, and that's exactly what U.S. policy is? So you can't deal with a country like this. I think the Russians know it. You know, they call a, you wrote an article about this. Russia, R- R- Amer- America is not Russia's partner. America is Russia's enemy. I think right. the Russians know that very well, even though they stick to diplomatic language. Putin every now and then, and even, even Foreign Minister Lavrov, can be very blunt at times and just come right out and say the things that you or I would say, couched 
more or less in diplomatic language, but the same message. And Putin had a long Q&A today. I haven't gone over it yet, but I'm sure there's a lot of harsh language about what America is doing with claiming that if you think you're going to bring Russia down, you're not going to do it. Maybe that's a good segue, Paul. You and I have written so much about what's going on between America and Russia. Comment more about that. Well, um, do you, are you talking about the latest development, the attack on the ruble? Oh, yeah, the oil wars and the attack on the ruble. Yeah. Well, um, just, just as there's no reason uh, for the price of gold to go down when the demand for gold is going up, and the price of gold is orchestrated down on the futures market by dumping in uh, huge numbers of um, shorts. You, you can go into the gold futures market and and sell short, or, or you can short that market with contracts representing many, many tons of gold. And then that drives down the price, even though uh, China and Russia and India are buying it hand over fist. So you have the curious situation where the demand is rising and the price is falling, and that shows the market is rigged, it's orchestrated. Now the same for the ruble. Uh, unlike the United States, uh, which has a massive trade deficit, Russia has a trade surplus. Unlike the United States, which has offshored uh, the middle-class segment of its economy, the manufacturing jobs, the professional tradable service, uh, professional skill jobs, uh, Russia is not offshored. Uh, Russia has just completed uh, uh, major trade deals with uh, uh, China and India and um, Turkey and is in economic uh, situation far better than ours. So there's no economic reason for the ruble to lose 19% of its value in one day. Not at all. So how is this achieved? It's achieved by uh, either the uh, Federal Reserve and the Treasury shorting the ruble in the currency markets, or it's achieved by the large hedge funds and and uh, perhaps people like George Soros doing the same thing. You have to remember that Soros was able to do this to the British pound some years ago. That's how he made the biggest part of his fortune. Uh, and so either this is officially organized or officially sanctioned by Washington, uh, huge numbers of Contracts are dumped in the currency market, shorting the ruble, and that drives down the ruble. Now, when when investors have money in Russia and they see the ruble falling, then they pull it out, and pulling the money out then further puts the ruble down. So this is an act of war on the part of the United States uh, against Russia. The war is either being conducted intentionally by the U.S. government or the U.S. government has given approval to its conduct by the huge hedge funds. 
So that, that, that is that. That's what's going on. Now, the impact of this on Russia is unclear at this point because the ruble is not going down for real economic reasons. It's going down for artificial reasons. It's a speculative, you could call it that. It's an onslaught on the ruble with the intent to drive it down. So it's not normal economic forces driving it down. So the meaning of it for Russia is is unclear. I think uh, it should teach the Russians, and indeed the remaining independent countries in the world, the ones that are not Washington's vassals, it should teach them that you cannot trust Western economic institutions and that you're very foolish to be involved in dollar mechanisms. These countries should not allow their currencies to be freely uh, traded because any country whose currency is freely traded is subject to destabilization by Washington because the Americans can, being the reserve currency, uh, have essentially unlimited resources with which to short the currencies, drive them down, and thereby cause uh, internal economic fluctuations and possibly instabilities. So this is part of the, the, the attack on the ruble is part of Washington's attack on Russia, along with sanctions, uh, military buildups, threats, and so on. So America cannot do this to a country like China, Paul, because the uh, yuan is not uh, tied to the dollar, or it is not free-floating, I guess, the, the way uh, well, it, most it, It's been tied to the dollar, but they have not yet made it fully convertible. It's partially convertible. And once it's fully convertible, the same thing can happen to China. You see, here's the trouble. Both Russia and China are full of economists trained in the Western tradition. They're neoliberal. And neoliberal economics is not merely junk economics, like Michael Hudson calls it, junk economics. In other words, it's totally wrong. There's nothing right about it. But more important, it is an ideology that serves American financial imperialism. And so you have the situation where China and Russia, the leaders, are advised by economists trained in ways of thinking that make them de facto American agents. Hmm. Because the whole purpose of neoliberalism is to organize the world under America in an exploitative way. And so when you have those economists uh, telling Putin, oh, we got to do this. They're telling them the things that help Washington. They're not doing it intentionally. It's just the way neoliberalism works. It's, it's the way it teaches you to think. And so when you apply its principles, you end up advancing American imperialism. So this is, the, this is a huge disadvantage for China and Russia, and it's going to make it very difficult for them in this contest because they have this de facto 
fifth column within their own economists and, and, and within the ministers and the government and the central banks that are also trained to think this way. So, um, If you were advising Russia right now, what would you tell them? Oh, I, I would be far too that is a, it's, it's a trick question. <laughs> What I'm really asking is, what can a country like Russia do to fight off America's onslaught? I would say, here's what what I would do if I wanted to stop the onslaught. Now, of course, it could could provoke a hot war because the adverse effects on the United States and Europe would be devastating. Um, If I was uh, Russia looking and, and understood that I had a deadly enemy trying to destroy me, and that there wasn't any way around this. Um, I would go into the gold future markets every time, every time uh, there's an assault on the gold price, and and tons and tons of paper shorts are dumped in the market. I would buy them all. And then when they come due, I would demand gold delivery. Well, my, my understanding is that Russia is selling oil in dollars, and they're converting the dollars to gold. So they're really building this up a This has got trem- nothing to do with what I'm talking about. Okay. See, if, if, if the bullion banks, you know, like Deutsche Bank or Citibank, or, they go in and they, okay, we're going to drive down the gold price. They dump, say, uh, in a couple of minutes, they dump contracts representing, say, 40 tons of gold. If I was Russia, I'd buy them. Now, in the futures market, the, the contracts are almost always settled in cash. Very few people actually demand delivery in gold. They're just speculating on price. But if Russia or China were to buy these contracts and then say, well, we don't want to settle in cash, we demand payment in gold. The chances are the, the gold exchanges would not be able to deliver. And so the whole thing would collapse. It would blow up. The gold price would hit $10,000 in one second. <clears throat> and, and the whole house of cards here would collapse. That's one thing I would do. And then as soon as I did that, I would tell Europe. I'd call up every government in Europe and say, we no longer sell energy to members of NATO. We've turned it off now. And the only way you can get any energy from us is to leave NATO. And then that would throw Europe into freezing, massive depression, and they would have to decide if they wanted to remain American vassal states or survive. So these are the things... In other words, Russia has far more power over us than we do over them. But they don't use it. They won't use it. They're non-confrontational. But if I was there, that's what I would do. I'd kick the teeth in in Washington. There wouldn't be any left. 
Well, I agree with you. I think it's time for Russia to fight back a little bit. You know, don't go all the way, but there is some things like what you're saying, maybe one of these things they can implement. Do something to show that they're sick and fed up with this nonsense, and they're not going to take it before. So here's whack number one. And if that doesn't get the attention of America and the European countries, whack number two. And keep whacking until they well, do have If they were to do those things, I think we would, we would go to war because we wouldn't be able to to deal with them. I think what Russia is doing is simply ignoring it and simply reorienting itself outside of the Western network. And so it's developing its relationships with China and India and Iran and now Turkey, a NATO member, and um, will probably succeed in pulling Turkey away, unless we assassinate the current leader of Turkey and put in somebody else, which is possible. So I think that the Russians are just going to ignore it because they know if they use that kind of uh, a reply, I mean, if they reply to us equivalent to what we're doing to them, uh, we'll probably go to war. Well, uh, and so they're going to take it, they're going to take it, and then they're just going to, uh, in the meantime, reorient themselves away from the West, away from dollar payments mechanisms, away from dollar clearing mechanisms, um, and encourage the parts of the world they're uh, turning to to do the same. And so there will just simply be a new world order that excludes the U.S. and the West. Paul, my understanding is, and I don't have any details, so I can't explain any of this, but my understanding is that Russia and China are coming up with an alternative banking system, and I would imagine it's outside of the SWIFT system, just to get out from under any financial sanctions that could hurt them. But again, I have no uh, specific information about this. I know that's true. The Russians are putting together. See, the SWIFT system is the clearing mechanism. Yeah. And, and, And so... Uh, if sanctions are put on or can be put on you that you can't use the clearing mechanism. I don't think we've done this to Russia, but I think they expect it, and so they're moving to create their own clearing system. And it's true the BRICS have made steps toward creating their own their own uh, IMF, World Bank-type thing, and they're also making deals to trade with one another uh, in their own currencies yep. independently of the dollar payment system. So these are the things I'm talking about. This is what I meant. This is how Russia is actually responding to the American aggression. They're not responding with aggression. They're just responding with walking away and leaving the system. And and that, of course, shows a very uh, um, mature and diplomatic approach Unlike mine, <laughs> I was, you know, mine was very aggressive, uh, replying to force with force. But they're simply saying, we're not going to uh, be drawn into this. You go on about it if you like, but we're ignoring you, and we're developing a different kind of um, of a world. And we're going to be participating in that world and not in your world. 
It's a slow process, Paul, but economic warfare can be very, very effective. It can be more powerful. It's like a neutron bomb. Uh, you know, it can cause lots of destruction, but leave all the buildings and structures standing. And over time, if this is successful, then Russia and China and other countries will be out from under the U.S. system, and maybe America and the European countries hanging on will be left out in the cold. Wouldn't that be wonderful? Well, I think that's I think that's what's going to happen. I don't know that they'll be out in the cold, but what it means is that the uh, use of dollars in in world trade will have dropped substantially, and therefore this should reflect in a drop in the value of the dollar, which <clears throat> would be uncomfortable for the United States. And what you would have is just two separate trading blocks with uh, no real uh, interrelationship. So Russia and China and India and Iran and, and South America probably would would be a block in South Africa. And then the United States and Europe and Canada and Japan and Australia and probably Mexico would be a block. And so there would be uh, international trade, but only within those blocks and very little between them. I think that I think that's probably what uh, um, Putin has has in mind, and I think that's what the Chinese have in mind. So um, it, it's unlikely that economic warfare. Uh, is capable of hurting a block as big as the Russian, Chinese, Indian one. Uh, The U.S. can be hurt because it is the world reserve currency, and the value of that depends on widespread use. And the more the use is constricted, uh, the less the value of the dollar, and the less the financial imperialism uh, that Washington can impose. So that's that's the way it's going, and I think that Putin is right to take that approach and not my approach. Well, Putin is a tough bird, and I'm afraid we're out of time, Paul, but you'll be watching this, and I'll be watching it, and I know we'll both be commenting on it in the future. Paul, I look forward to more great discussion in the new year. I wish you a very happy holiday season, a good new year, and let's keep keep at the so-and-sos into the new year. Just keep hammering on them. As long as they let us, Steve. As long as they let us, indeed, Paul. Okay, my friend. Goodbye.